Welcome to This Week in California Education, brought to you by EdSource Radio. I'm John Fensterwald. Louis Friedberg is working on a project and will rejoin us next week. The shelter-in-place order has forced Californians to cope with life in new ways and to reflect on what's important and how we deal with change and crises. In what is perhaps maybe one of the gifts of a terrible time, the lockdown has allowed us to reflect, collect our thoughts, and sometimes share them with others. Our early education reporter Zadie Stavely has been keeping a journal of her thoughts on home life while schools are closed. We've published a particularly compelling entry this week on our website. It's resonating with many of our readers who are juggling parental duties and helping their kids navigate distance learning. We asked Zadie to read a passage from that entry today. These last three weeks of sheltering in place have been a whirlwind of emotions for me. It's difficult to get work done and at the same time play with my children, help my 10-year-old work on the homework packet her teacher sent home, or go online to do math games or practice typing. My husband and I are taking turns spending time with the kids and working. It's an impossible juggle. I'm overwhelmed. But the largest, most present emotion for me is grief. Grief that my children aren't playing with friends, learning from each other and expanding their worlds. Grief that I can't be near my parents who live in rural Northern California. Grief and anger that so many of my daughter's classmates are struggling much more than we are as their parents lose their jobs or have hours reduced. Grief that we are all kind of alone. And yet we're not. There are some small and wonderful slivers of hope. We have that online preschool circle time. My older daughter has a regular online video chat with her friends. She's been writing letters to her friends and her cousins and her grandma. My kids are getting along better. With no other children around, my 10-year-old plays more with her 2-year-old sister now, almost allies in this strange new world. Well, Zidia, that was really powerful and beautiful, so really thank you for that. How do you manage your grief uh, around your children and while you're trying to juggle so many things? That's a good question, John. I'm not completely sure I'm managing anything. I think we're all sort of juggling everything right now. As I explained in my piece, I have two kids. One is two and one is 10. And the two-year-old really needs constant attention. And, you know, she needs people to play with her and do things with her all day. She actually brings a lot of joy to our lives. She and my older daughter both really bring me those slivers of hope. My older daughter is really interested in learning about scientific things. She's reading like astrophysics for young people in a hurry. She took apart a kitchen timer and tried to figure out how to put it back together. And so the way that they're kind of managing sort of helps me manage that grief too. Zadie is certainly not alone in feeling the stress that this crisis has caused. And next week, we will be taking a deep look at the issue of stress among students, parents, teachers, and well, everyone. For those charged with educating California students, the big challenge of the moment is distance learning. It's a huge undertaking, and for most districts, the transition to it, with barely any warning, has been taxing. Put aside the issues of connectivity to the internet, which we'll get to, choosing how to do remote learning, what platform to use, which lessons to choose, how to engage students and train teachers who may not be net savvy, it's been daunting, especially for small districts. Nearly half of the 47 districts in Kern County recognize there is strength in unity. On Monday, some of them will go online in sync. 
In an unusual arrangement, the Office of the Kern County Superintendent of Schools has coordinated a common approach to remote learning. All the teachers and their students will sign on to the same platform. There will be activities and lessons to choose from in every grade and every subject. The districts have not only agreed to it, they've helped shape it over the past month. Leading the effort is Lisa Gilbert, the deputy superintendent in the county superintendent's office, and we have her with us. Welcome, Lisa. Thank you. Happy to be here. Lisa, why does this system make sense and what are its advantages and disadvantages? This has been a very abrupt and daunting issue for all of us to confront. And so immediately we saw our role as a county office to do what we could to support our districts and teachers to transition to distance learning and chose to create kind of a one-stop shop so that teachers and districts felt confident to start learning the platform with some ready-made lessons. And then we are transitioning to teaching teachers how to create their own lessons. So on Monday, I'm a student or a parent and I go on and what will I see? You will log on. Typically, districts are using a single sign-on, meaning students don't have to have multiple sign-ons. And once signed in, they will have access to over 360 educational applications that are integrated into the system. But what is most important is that a student logging in will be immediately connected with their own teacher. They will have been placed in their teacher's classroom and they will have ready-made lessons ready to go for them in ELA, English language arts, mathematics, and English language development. We are working also on science, history, social studies, and social-emotional learning as well. So will everybody be working in lockstep at the same time? It's hard to imagine you could get all districts to agree and cooperate to everything like that. To be very honest, I think that would be an impossibility. Um, you know, that's part of the reason for the whole local control movement in our state, right? There's always context that occurs within a school district that is really important to consider in making these kinds of decisions. So it is not a lockstep approach. It is instead an approach to say, here is what we are offering as a resource. Come join us on this journey. We are co-learning with our districts. As you mentioned, it really is a partnership. Um, we have over 17 of our districts who have allowed staff members to come and assist us in curriculum development. So if I'm a teacher, maybe I want to do a Zoom lesson and watch my students. And maybe that's, that doesn't suit another teacher. And that teacher maybe wants to do a, you know, a Google chat or something like that. Is that possible? Yeah absolutely is possible. So the two apps that you mentioned, which are very widely used here in Kern County, and I think probably across the state, Zoom and Google, are both examples of integrated applications within Canvas. So my teacher absolutely can utilize Zoom to video conference with their uh, their students. And then the Google Classroom. There are many of our districts whose teachers and students were familiar with the Google Classroom platform and are continuing to use it. But one of the biggest highlights for Canvas was that it integrated with Google. And so teachers and students can log on to Canvas and still have full access to Google Classroom in addition to a number of the other resources. So what is Canvas again? Explain. That seems to be the system that holds everything together. What is it? It's considered a learning management system. It really allows for a more robust communication system. You basically can set up a virtual school or a virtual district through an LMS system. It allows for collaboration amongst the teachers. It allows for communication tools such as school-wide or district-wide announcements. And again, just the addition of all of those additional resources and tools being made available. Have you been able to train all the teachers? And, and then tell us about parents, how will they navigate this thing? 
part of the district's decision to join us is that they will engage in the professional development that we've provided. We have professional development specifically for our administrators and, and what their role will be. We have professional development for our teachers, and we are in the final processes of finishing a parent and student training that school districts can use with their families. And the training is a very important part of this. As we mentioned at the beginning, this can be overwhelming, a little scary for some of our teachers. So we've really tried to take a, a, an approach that is uh, going slow and really starting with the basics, uh, being there with our teachers and, and districts every step of the way to answer questions and address concerns and slowly phasing in additional building of capacity. So it sounds like one of the big advantages is that districts, particularly small districts, they are inundated with so many options and choices. And so you've kind of curated this and at least given the option of lessons, right? But I mean, it seems like it's just a simpler way of providing districts and cutting a lot of time. Am I right here? We, we hope so. That was our goal, that we could create and provide support around a digital learning platform that met all of our needs. We did a lot of homework. This platform allows for so much customization and flexibility by each classroom and each teacher. Access and support are really important. Canvas has a number of accessibility tools and supports for our students with disabilities and our English learners and different students that may need those supports. And then that additional piece about allowing our educators to collaborate and share lessons and work together in this new environment was an important piece as well. This is kind of a different approach. Have other counties expressed interest in what you're doing? Yes, and, and we're very excited. We are in beginning conversations with the California Collaborative for Educational Excellence, who has also been in contact with other county offices. As it currently stands, we are um, talking with a few larger county offices who have expressed interest in partnering We've been speaking with Lisa Gilbert, Deputy Superintendent of the Office of the Kern County Superintendent of Schools. Lisa, thank you and good luck. Thank you so much. Providing curriculum and engaging activities is just one hurdle for implementing remote instruction because it's not much good if students can't access it. And not all students have a computer at home or internet access. And in vast areas of Kern County, that's a big challenge. We're fortunate to have with us Anthony Davis. He's the Chief Technology Officer at the Office of the Kern County Superintendent of Schools. He has the immediate job of overseeing the delivery of computers and internet connections for many of the 190,000 students in the county's 47 districts. His daunting goal is to get every student online. Welcome, Anthony. Thank you, John. So, Tell us a little bit about Kern County, how big it is, and some of the challenges you face and how you're meeting them. Kern County is different than a lot of other counties. We're 8,100 square miles. We have a very diverse county when it comes to geography, which creates complexities when you talk about getting connectivity to every home. On top of the geographic challenges, we also have 190,000 students. Uh, we know that about 40% of our households live in poverty, and so uh, that can be up to 76,000 students that we're addressing not having connectivity. What is your role in working with the districts and 
getting computers and internet connections? And again, what are the hurdles you're facing? My role is really to provide support to districts in any way that we can as a county office. Many districts have their own staff. And so in that case, we will just help by advise and provide devices where they are needed. Uh, for other smaller districts, we will do everything from wiring to, to anything else you can think of. So our first and primary responsibility for this pandemic was to acquire Chromebooks, which is the device that we landed on for the learning management system that we needed. So right off the bat, I went out and tried to source after inventorying what districts had. I went out and sourced a little over 20,000 Chromebooks which we have now received a good portion of and have deployed um, almost two thirds of what we have to districts to meet their needs. The other big part of that was the connectivity. We've been trying to source Chromebooks as well as we have several other types of connectivity we're providing. So it's the goal to get a Chromebook in the hands of every one of those 190,000 students, you know, within a month or so? Yeah, the goal is to as many students that can use a device have enough to put those in every student's hands, as well as address connectivity concerns. And yeah, about the connectivity, do you know how many or roughly what percentage of households are connected and those that aren't? And how do you reach those remote areas and parts of Bakersfield where many parents don't have that? The districts, we've been asking them to survey parents. The good news is that we're finding that not all of the 76,000 students that live in poverty need connectivity. So our task isn't as big as we initially were expecting. That's a good thing for us, but it still does mean we have a lot of households without connectivity and no one way is going to meet all parents' needs. So, you know, obviously hotspots are a good way to do that, but we can't source enough hotspots to put one in every household that needs it. So we have a couple other methods. We created a countywide Wi-Fi that it, we put it at as many schools. And this is a collaboration with our current high school district and Bakersfield City Schools and all the other districts. We meet every week several times and we have deployed to over 180 sites across our county, a common Wi-Fi. So a student doesn't have to go to a specific school that they go to. They can go to any school that has Wi-Fi, drive into the parking lot while they're picking up food if need be, and can get to their learning materials. The other way is through buses. We have equipped about over 150 buses, um, not just the county office, but uh, districts that already had connectivity in buses. We're rolling those out to apartment complexes that have a high count of socioeconomically disadvantaged students. Yeah. How does it work? Yeah. So a couple different strategies with the high school district, the way they're rolling it out is they're going through kind of their normal routes of need. And so they roll to a normal bus stop. They'll sit there for a half hour. Students can socially distance themselves, but come up, sync their Chromebook that's been deployed, get their curriculum for the week or for the day, and then go back home and do the instructions. With Bakersfield City, we've been a little bit more targeted and we're working with them to help provide very dense populations of students where they can roll into an apartment complex or a neighborhood that we know has challenges and students can do the same type of thing. Social distance, get some connectivity, download and return. We're not having them get on the buses we're not having them congregate. It's really a, a drive-through, drive-by kind of connectivity. So I guess the teachers need to be aware then that although eventually most students will be connected, but it may be for a very short amount of time, so they won't be able necessarily to go through a live instruction. Am I right there? Yeah. So one of the reasons for choosing Canvas as our learning management system is that it has what we call either a store and forward or an offline mode. So certain devices can actually download the curriculum. Now, 
you may not have access to, let's say you go home and you have internet um, on a phone, but you don't have Wi-Fi for your household. What we're doing is building into the curriculum barcodes that they can scan with a parent's smartphone and watch the video or the content associated with the course, but not have that connectivity maybe on the device that has the offline mode. So um, trying to think of every different possibility of connectivity that could be done. <laughs> yeah, pretty innovative uh, and creative solutions to some real problems. How can a state help you? Well, I mean, that's a very good thing. One of the things our county decided very early and our superintendent was very adamant that we weren't going to let students go without devices. So she authorized me to spend county money to get the devices we need, get connectivity going, regardless of whether we were going to get reimbursed from the state or we were going to get any philanthropic assistance. Um, now we're hearing word that we may get some help from the state. And so that's great because we've gone to our reserves to spend the money we have. So the state can really help by, by especially the districts that uh, didn't have enough Chromebooks by helping counter some of those costs. As exciting as it is, and, and sounds like you're doing some terrific work, is this a solution for an immediate crisis or is this a long-term connectivity approach? You know, um, as, a, as an IT person, I would love to see a long-term approach where we put connectivity in every home or we have the access of connectivity in every home. I think some other states have had requirements for certain students to have online courses, even without the pandemic. Um, so I'd love to see our state move toward more of a digital learning. But I understand we're a big state. We have a lot of issues that, to deal with. Um, so I would like to see us move that way. But Obviously, our immediate response is, let's get us through the pandemic. We've been speaking with Anthony Davis, who is the Chief Technology Officer at the Office of the Kern County Superintendent of Schools. Thanks so much for joining us today, and good luck to uh, getting internet access. It's a real exciting possibility. Thank you so much, John. I thank you for having me. Kern County is a long way from Silicon Valley, but they've created an option to meeting this sudden technological challenge that we are facing across the state. We'll keep an eye on their progress as they implement their innovative approach. And that wraps it up for this week's podcast. Thanks to our sponsors, the S.D. Bechtel Jr. Foundation and the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Our producer is Kobe McDonald. Our music is from the Nate Schwartz Jazz Orchestra and Ed Source's own Justin Allen. Please subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. Before we go, we'd like to congratulate Jill Baker, who was on our podcast three weeks ago to talk about planning for school closures in Long Beach Unified. On Thursday, the district announced that she would succeed Chris Steinhauser as its next superintendent. I'm John Fensterwald. Lewis will be back next week. Thanks for listening and stay safe.